Welcome to the Entrepreneur Podcast. If you're growing a brand around your nerdy passion, you can learn from business and marketing podcasts, or you can learn from nerds like you. This is the show built by bloggers, cosplayers, gamers, artists, and other entrepreneurs that are making the things you love. How's it going, entrepreneurs? Welcome to episode 74 of the Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Ludy. My guest this week is Justice Arman, who is a DM's Guild best-selling author of supplements such as Devil's Advocate, A Guide to Infernal Contracts, Darkhold, Secrets of the Zentarum, and Elminster's Candlekeep Companion. In addition to that, he also works at Beetle and Grimm's, a really cool premium resource for running a Dungeons and Dragons game where if you want to run one of the published adventures like Eberron, uh, Rising from the Last War, or uh, Curse of Strahd, Beetle and Grimm's provides a lot of physical resources for you to hand your players maps, pictures of monsters, uh, you know, little... You know, handouts of, of notes that come into the game. Um, it, it organizes all the adventure, uh, the individual parts of the adventure to make everything super easy to run. Custom DM screen. A lot of really awesome stuff for if you're running your games in person, which hopefully we will get back to eventually. And yeah, uh, Justice worked on on both of those boxes that I mentioned, Eberron and Curse of Strahd and a bunch of others that they do. He has also written for the D&D Adventurers League and for MCDM's Arcadia, which is a, a new uh, magazine that's uh, just started just started coming out, which is really cool. And in this episode, we talk about a lot of awesome stuff. Um, you know, we talk about kind of building your resume and body of work to to approach a company like Wizards or like Beetle and Grimm's. We talk about finding success on the DMs Guild and collaborating and reaching out with other creators. So I think if you if you have a, a career that uh, that you are looking to launch in a specific industry, if you are specifically looking to succeed on the DMs Guild or in Dungeons & Dragons, um, I think there's a lot of awesome stuff in this episode. So let's dive right in. I'm now joined by Justice Armand. Justice, thanks for joining me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. So can you tell me a little bit about how you got started playing uh, role-playing games and how that led to creating D&D content? Yeah, so um, I was a uh, junior in undergrad. I was 19, and uh, I had this guy who lived in my apartment complex who came up to me one day, and he said, hey, do you want to play Dungeons & Dragons with us this Sunday? And I said, is that that cartoon, you know, game where you're in a basement and you roll all those weird dice behind that paper thing? And he's like, yeah, pretty much. And I said, eh, I don't know if that's my style. And uh, he said, he said, oh, you can play whatever you want. I was like, could I be a, a powdered wig wearing minotaur with a harpsichord? And he was like, yeah, sure. You just come on an hour early and we'll make that character. And um, the rest is history. I've been playing for probably about 10 years now, or not 10 years, seven years, which makes me feel a little old. But uh, 
I love it. It's awesome. So I know it took you a little while to get into the DM chair, but when did you finally decide uh, to start writing your own content to be published? Yeah, um, I think my first time that I actually put, I t- I've always taken pretty extensive notes um, in my campaign, so I I probably have been writing a little bit longer than I can claim. Um, but my first supplement that I ever did was on the DM school. It was in 2018, around October. And it was this, we always did a ha- annual Halloween one-shot for our group. Um, and I took such you know, detailed notes on it. I was like, I bet I could put this up somewhere. And I went on Reddit and asked some people and they were like, you should, you should put that on the DMs Guild. Um, so I threw it up there as a uh, pay what you want title, forgot about it. And then in the summer of 2019, um, another author um, who's written for Wizards of the Coast, and I've done a few projects with him, Empty Black was doing this one page adventure contest. And I said, uh, you know, I, I can write one page. That's not too bad. Uh, it was actually harder than you think because you have to put a whole adventure onto just one page, which is really tough. And uh, when it came time to turn it in, he said, uh, you know, what's your DMs Guild address? And I said, I, I think I think I have an email for that. And I logged in and I had like $45 and I thought that like I had gotten hacked, like reverse hacked or I don't know, like bank error in my favor, like Monopoly or something. And I was like, what? And I looked and a bunch of people had given me a, a buck or two for that adventure. And uh, after that, I just kept writing and writing. So uh, I think now it's a little over a uh, little over a year, maybe a year and a half I've been writing uh, D&D content. Yeah, because when you... Um, when you first uh, announced or, or, or got to join uh, Beetle and Grimm, you mentioned that working on like official D and D products was part of a, a five year plan of yours. And obviously, a year yeah. and a half in, you're probably a little ahead of schedule, uh, even. But what is when you first started out? What kind of what did you imagine were the big goals, and what did what did kind of that five year plan look like? Yeah, I I feel like I'm way more ahead than I than I thought I would. I think I think I thought that creating was going to take a lot longer, um, and and I think it depends on the type of supplement you do. Um, you know, my first major supplement was like 24 pages, which is way more digestible than you know um, some people who really really want to do a setting for their first one, and and it's you know 100 200 pages just them solo writing. Um, but uh, yeah, that first supplement kind of opened up the door for everything. Um, for me because I was able to go to uh, Bill Rayhor, who's the um, like the CEO goblin um, of Beetle and Grimms. Everybody's a goblin. Uh, <laughs> uh, we actually we actually talked for a long time about our business cards and the names used to be so ridiculous and we're like maybe people should actually know what we do when we're passing these out because I think that's the point, right? Because um, they were like handsome goblin and scary goblin and posh goblin and. Um, but uh, yeah, so my five-year plan, I think initially was at the end of this five-year plan to have some sort of work in, in TTRPGs that I could go part-time with. Um, and I, th- I think the first year was me, I thought I would understand, I would learn how to create, I might put one thing out um, if I have time. Year two would be kind of make a couple supplements, maybe get a few sales uh, and try to network. Um, And then by like years three and four, I would um, be making content more regularly um, and, uh, you know, putting out something 
you know, with a, with a little bit more pizzazz, maybe something that's like a hardcover or something that's a little bit harder to distribute. And by year five, hopefully had made some in-rounds, in-roads with uh, some companies to be able to say, here's my resume, here's stuff I've made, uh, you know, can I get a job with you and, and start to leave that industry. Uh, but a lot of those happen really fast, um, which I'm grateful for. But uh, it's it's also been a steep learning curve in, in some instances, which has been uh, both exciting and uh, rewarding. And um, I don't know, it's been it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. What do you think have been the reasons for that kind of increased upward trajectory? I guess like I feel like one of the things that uh, that's been working really well is you have been putting yourself out there like you reached out to empty black mm-hmm. um, you reached out to beetle and grammy you know going to conventions and kind of meeting meeting people and putting your work in front of the right people seems seems to have helped a lot yeah yeah and it's definitely been complicated this year with with covid i think i think what i tell people is you know what i did with with bng was when i saw their booth they hadn't even put out the water deep dragon heist box so they had like a tester box that was going to serve what they were going to do that they couldn't show it because the adventure wasn't out yet. So they're like, hey, do you want to spend $450 on something you can't see, but we promise it's going to be really good? And I was like, this looks really dope. Um, this is the exact kind of thing I need. You know, I'm, I work in healthcare. My time is limited as it is. And I, I really like, you know, props and stuff like that. And uh, when I met them, I kind of knew this is a company I want to work for. Um, I'm not going to shotgun 10 different applications to 10 different places. These are the people I want to work for. And I want to get my skill set up to speed so that I can work for them. Um, So I think that focus really helped me. Um, I can't discount luck. I mean, just timing and luck and the fact that my first supplement, I kind of looked at what was going to come out for D&D, tried to guess and ride the curve before it came out. Because there were, there were, uh, my first supplement was on uh, Infernal Contracts. And those rules are in Descend Over and they're not as detailed as the ones I wrote because of page counts and things like that. But it was always kind of a, a gamble a little bit that people would go, uh, I'll just wait for the book. Um, I think that and a little bit, um, willing, willing to risk some things at times, uh, whether it's, you, you know, whether it's putting yourself out there with a network to say, like, Hey, I really respect you. Uh, I would like to work with you in some way. Here's something I made. Um, will you take a chance on me um, at times uh, and and being willing to fail at others when a supplement, you know, doesn't quite land how you'd hope. Yeah, and I know you've talked about that idea of focus before where you've kind of, like you said, you wanted, you, when you realized you wanted to work with BNG, you started getting your resume ready for that and like Mm -hmm. you mentioned um wizards takes uh like pays attention when you create something related to their new adventures yeah you know infernal contracts related to avernus um so what did that look like like when you when you said i want to work for bng or when you're saying you know i want to work with wizards what did that (laughs) like when you say i want i want to get my work up to that level what did that look like specifically like targeting towards those companies yeah, that's a good question. Um, so my first contact was with Bill at this booth. Um, and I asked him if there was some way I could follow up with him. Like, hey, can I, 
Um, would you mind if I shot you an email or my resume or something like that when I get time? And so that kind of opened up the door like, ah, yes, I have communication with this person. Maybe I can get a job down the road. And I sent him one or two emails a month for a year before I ever worked for them. And that was at Gen Con 2018. And by Gen Con 2019, I had written that supplement. I was able to, I said, hey, you know, Gen Con is coming back up. Um, you all have five people in your company. It's a huge convention. I'd love to, you know, volunteer at your booth and give you some time to um, step away a little bit um, and, you know, go get a break, attend a meeting that you want to with a client without having to worry about sales going down, um, you know, while you're away or somebody getting swamped. Um, and of course, they were, they said, you know, you're not going to volunteer. We're going to pay you, which was really nice. And I kind of knew that they were, you know, they were a good company to work for. They shared the same values as me. Um, but as I would email with Bill throughout the months, I would ask them what's going on with the company, um, what they were thinking, uh, what kinds of things they were putting into their boxes in the past and things that they were excited to do in the future and thinking, um, you know, how can I support that? What skills do I have or could I reasonably get in the next year to two years that could be of use to them and either supplement somewhere or that they're, um, that they don't have, or, or I guess supplement somewhere that they already are good at or fill a niche that they don't quite have. Um, so like Michaela and I are both really plugged into the day to day of the TTRPG Twitter community, which is something that, you know, uh, Bill and them, though they're really brilliant, they can't be on Twitter all the time, you know, <laughs> responding to people that they're, they have full-time jobs and all that. Um, and then other things like being able to uh, get some editing skills and, and be familiar with the Chicago um, manual of style and being able to look over the things that they're submitting and be an extra set of eyes so that nothing slips through the cracks. Uh, I hope I answered your question. Yeah, definitely. And I think especially to that last point where you were you were focusing on editing and you were you were focusing on the specific format that these companies publish in. Mm -hmm. and I think that is. Like you haven't like as an RPG writer, you haven't said, you know, like, oh, like there's a ton of RPGs out there that'd be really cool to write for, a ton of Pathfinder lore. You yeah. kinda said, you know, I'm going to write for the DMs guild, and that has kind of allowed you to learn their specific like their specific format, their specific yeah. style. Is that was that the reasoning behind really focusing on the DMs guild? I think I think for the DMs guild, I went there because I love D&D, &D. Um, and in in my original plan um, was to some someday try to target a full-time position at Wizards of the Coast. Um, I'm really comfortable at, at Beetle and Grimm's now, um, and they're, they're so um, – they're very chill about me having freelance projects on the side, which, which helps me because then I can kind of um, do work that I'm passionate about with them and then also have some side stuff that's just, you know, solo projects or getting to know other creators. Um, and it, it just kind of uh, is a way for me to gain that expression. Um, but uh, for, for learning that, that Chicago Manual of Style and the D&D House Style Guide, I knew that Beetle and Grimm's did do officially licensed projects and or products and at the time only with D&D &D. um so 
that that actually helped me out a few times with John, um, who helps write the bonus encounters, because I'd be able to say, hey, I was reviewing your encounter, and I noticed that you put um, your uh, your checks formatted like this. But if you look at this reference and this reference in the style guide, they actually perform like this, which would help us um, lower the time to approval because, you know, everything would already be squeaky clean when we go in. And instead of 10 notes, it would be one note, fix this thing and resubmit, um, which saves you time in the production line, which is uh, obviously really helpful if you're delivering like big boxes. Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, so for for other creators looking to succeed specifically on the DMs Guild, is there anything that you found works well there? Any Any guidance there? Yeah. Um, so a few things. I would find community where you can um, get with a little group of creators, um, bounce ideas off of each other, um, read the latest D&D books, read all of them, but especially know that what they're formatting things, how, how they're formatting terms right now. You'll notice there are some changes in the way that they've worded class features over the years. Um the sage advice that comes out that clarifies wording. Uh, pay attention to what they changed in it and why they changed in it, uh, why they changed that wording. It, it'll make you a better designer for it if you can go, oh, I see how this old wording had a gap in it for this reason. They changed a lot with um, Booming Blade and the Green Flame Blade. I know Think DM uh, put something out that was talking about, you know, comparing how those two changed the game a little bit, the old way and the new way. Um, so, so obviously do that. Uh, know the, uh, I guess it's not obvious, by the way. Do those things. Uh, <laughs> nothing is obvious. Obvious um, to you now. Obvious to me now, yeah. Um, know the, be familiar with the D&D house style guide. Um, you don't always have to stick to it in your projects. You can be a little bit more artsy with them if you want, if you want to deliberately change things. But if your goal is to be noticed by D&D or even another company, they're going to want to know that you can stick to an established style guide because they're going to have one as well. And that's a good exercise to review it periodically and say, you know, is what I'm writing uh, on track with what they would put in a book? Uh, because that's that's something that editors will have to fix. That's something that your project lead would have to fix if, if you stray from it. Uh, and then lastly, there are just some good resources out there. Uh, there are articles by um, James Intracasso on getting started on the DMs Guild. There's uh, Ashley Warren's RPG Writer Workshop. Um, I just posted a, a blog a couple weeks ago um, onto my website about uh, just a bunch of resources that I've got over time um, and some advice about incorporating things like artwork without having to blow your budget. Yeah, and I that article is super helpful. I almost wanted to just ask you to read that out loud, uh, and that's, that's <laughs> the show right there. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, um, that that was that was my most visited article, which makes me want to write more on the DMs Guild. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's cool, and that was that article represents you know a year of learning basically, and uh, things that I wish I'd known when I started out. And I think that one really highlights the um, like you were saying, get with a group of people because because the mm -hmm. article outlines you know you need editors, you need you know three different kinds of editors, you need artwork, you need yeah. layout design, um, and probably aren't going to become a master at all this stuff. Here's how to find those people. So it seems like you learned early on collaborating and working on those with those groups is the mm -hmm. best way to to make that kind of stuff happen. Yeah, I mean, uh, like, 
I feel like life is point by. Um, so you can put one point into editing and one point into art and one point into, you know, uh, uh, writing and one point into layout. But you're only going to have one point in each of those. And when you go to roll the dice, you're not going to, on average, you're not going to roll very high. But if you put all four points into one of them or three in one or something, um, you'll be more successful that way. Um, there are people who can really trim down their budgets, who can do a few of those things at once and, and more power to them. Uh, it just takes more time and it depends on what, what do you have the most of. If you have a lot of time, um, and you have layout skills and writing skills, you probably could do both of those and, uh, uh, it would probably help you. But if you're like me and you've got a full-time job, you can't afford to be learning, uh, layout and, uh, putting all my own art and stuff like that. It's just, I'm just moving the points around, basically. And sleep points. <laughs> sleep points are in there, too. So you need a few sleep points. <laughs> it seems like those, um, the projects with a few collaborators seem to do better. I mean, this will be a question I'm asking you because you'll have the data better than I. But like, it seems like uh, Darkhold, Secret of the uh, Zentara, mm-hmm. like Hellbound Heists, it seems like those are... Yeah, really well performing projects when they have a, a lot of collaborators. Uh, mm-hmm. working on them. Yeah, I think they, they tend to do better. There's there's a point where the project might do really well as in, I mean, in addition to this, there's a point where the project might do really well. And then you as creators don't get paid as much because there's only so many royalties you can split around, um, which is why I think some people are going to like Kickstarter and stuff where you can fund the project up front and then divide the budget afterwards rather than paying the project up front and then seeing how much you get, which is stressful when you put a lot into a supplement. Um, But when you get like a mix of creators about, I'd say the sweet spot is between five and 10 creators. Um, You can, you can really accomplish some awesome stuff without feeling like you're really straining the budget. Um, And the, the projects go faster um, they become better for it because you can bounce ideas off of someone. You're not sitting there wondering, is this good the whole time? Like, is this, do people even like this mechanic? I don't even know if I like this mechanic anymore. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and you get periods where you could just pass it to somebody and lean back and take a break until peer review time comes up. Awesome. And yeah, I feel like that also benefits during the promotion phase where you've got a a few more audiences especially when you're working with a few uh you know well-known collaborators yeah yeah like mt being early on being able to have mt with like ten thousand followers be able to retweet something was a a huge bonus and he was on candlekeep he was a consultant um so I mean, we we only had a few meetings with him and spoke with him in the chat. Um, MT's always been willing to help out, you know, new creators and rising creators and uh, and just in general. So um, to have access to uh, that audience of another person um, just instantly, I mean, it's just exponential. Um, yeah, and you've mentioned uh, kind of reaching out to to MT Black almost in a like a mentor capacity where yeah. you know, looking for guidance on this project. What was that? Like how did that come about? What was the thought process there of like actually reaching out for, you know, reaching up to see if someone yeah. can help you uh what was that like? S- super scary. Super scary. Um my my partner uh Anthony Joyce have my my he he and I have written a lot together. Um he's a military strategist who lives out in uh Florida now. Um 
he he kind of had already he would he's he's a lot more proactive with that sort of stuff i would always i'd always be really methodic and be like okay what am i going to say to this person what am i going to say when do i reach out to them and no 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 it's not time yet and anthony would be like i just met this mt and i'm like why would you do that what if he responds he'd be like oh he responds he's in it's cool and uh anthony's just like a go-getter like that so i think when you're when you're when you're reaching out it's just know your ask make sure you're being professional make sure you're uh you know you're matching the uh demeanor of the creator um you know you don't want to come in with a really relaxed vibe if the only thing you've seen from a creator is you know brand style tweets where they're kind of more distant so you don't want to come in and be like what's up hey how are you doing you know um but uh you know know when you're going to use that that uh when you're going to use that outreach, I feel like it's like calling planar, a planar ally. <laughs> uh, it's a six level slot. Assume you, you're not going to get a long rest for a while. When are you going to use that spell? Because you don't know how it's going to go. Um, and, uh, you want to use it right when it counts. Um, because if you, if you get in the habit of messaging somebody, always asking them for something and you're never giving back to them in some way, you aren't helping them out. Um, they don't, they don't have a, a lot of incentive to uh, to do that for you. Um, some people are more giving than others, um, but everybody is busy. So, um, you know, never expect a response, never expect a, a commitment. Um, it's just the the way of TTRPGs. I mean, you can tell by Twitter that a lot of us are busy. A lot of us are a little stressed during the pandemic. Um, so just be direct, be kind, professional, all that stuff. Yeah, because I feel like I I will always be like, oh, you know, like I'll wait another six months, then I'll be ready. You know, I don't that's wanna, how I am. I, I got the one, I got the one chance to reach out to them. I want to make sure I got. Yeah, I had kind of, I had kind of built up a little bit of relationship with um, James Intercasso when Anthony had one with MT. Um, these were both creators that we really respected their work. Um, and knowing their work helped a lot because then that was something that we already had in common. We could, we could talk to them and say, Hey, I really appreciated how in this supplement you did this. Um, what would your advice be on this scenario? Or, or, Hey, I noticed you put a blog out about new creators doing X. I'm kind of approaching it from a similar angle. What do you think about this? And that's what I think you didn't just say, you know, hey, aspiring creator, any advice? It was like, I have a specific project yeah. I think because X, Y, and Z, you can help. Here's the help I am looking for. Yeah. What do you say? And you want it to be fast. You want it to, you know, unless you're making a pitch for a project and you have a little bit more under your belt, um, you want them, you want it to be easy for them to help you. Um, advice is always uh, something that's pretty easy to offer. Um, you know, don't go to a creator um, and without offering to pay, ask them to read something that's 30 pages. Um, because when you get in their position, y- you shouldn't just read something for 30 pages without accepting payment because then you're underselling yourself. So, yeah. And you, you price out editing work, uh, in that, in that blog that I'll link to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> editing is very worthwhile. That's <laughs> a, a very useful expense. Um, so yeah, um, as far as marketing your work, what have been the mes- best ways that you've promoted your work, uh, either DMs Guild work or or uh, B and G work? Um, I think that I think that one thing we learned uh, by we I say like the DMs Guild community um, was that 
One thing I've seen that makes it successful is your initial reveal is probably the most important tweet you can make about a project. When you show the cover, when you tell people it's coming, I've almost found that you need to have the project to offer at that point. Because unlike other industries, you know, you're just a solo creator compared to these big books or these, you know, established companies, it's harder for you to hold their attention because there's less content to offer in a lot of these instances. Um, so I almost say that the one of the more successful things we found is waiting until a day or two days before that project to say anything about it. It's very difficult to do because you've been working on it for like a month or two months or longer. Um, and to say, hey, this is dropping tomorrow. Here's a teaser. You know, see you Tuesday morning. Because then people are like, oh, wow, that sounds really cool. It's coming out tomorrow. Their their mind starts spinning with questions about it. They can ask a few questions or you can tease. Um, I think that's been really helpful. Um, and then another thing is, uh, going back to kind of what we've learned on the Guild, is that uh, building an audience is a step that you can't ignore. Um, it's, it's no surprise that someone with a thousand followers has a very different footprint in a lot of instances than somebody with 10,000 followers. Um, that takes time to build. Um, that takes meaningful engagement. Uh, it, it, it's a project in itself that I block out throughout my days, um, if I didn't have Twitter, I could probably add something else on my plate. But Twitter helps me sell things, helps me engage with creators. It 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 pays for itself, I think, for the time that it costs. Yeah, definitely. So waiting until the day before, that's that's um that's really interesting. What does the It's risky. It's it seems risky seems scary. It's like if that tweet flops, you know. That's what, so is it a, so what is the kind of, what is those two days or what does the, that week look like? Is it a, yes. like a tweet a day or are you like those two days you hitting it, like blasting out a few tweets a day? What's the, what's the launch look like? So we did three promotions for Candlekeep um, and Candlekeep, we hit number one with Candlekeep and we kept it for a while, which is now it's very hard to do when you when you have uh, Keith Baker on there. <laughs> he's he's so hard to dethrone for even like a couple hours. Um, but uh, as far as I'm concerned, when Keith has the number one spot, number two is number one for everybody else. So if you got number two, good for you. Um, I think that uh, what we did initially, we teased a cover like a week or two weeks before. I think a little bit further out. We we're like, hey, this is coming sometime this month. Elminster's Guide to Candlekeep. And people are like, oh, that sounds amazing. People forgot about it. We let the hype die down instead of saying, hey, don't forget about this coming in three weeks. Hey, two weeks. Hey, by then everybody's tired of it. Um, they'll pass the tweets they see on it. And then the night before, we tweeted out a picture of Marco uh, Bernardini's uh, map for Candlekeep, which uh, there's never been an overhead map for Candlekeep in 5th edition. Uh, I think Adam Lee, who was one of the lead designers on Descent No Avernus, which has a Candlekeep chapter, was like, this is amazing. I'm super, this is so cool. Um, we tweeted out that and it blew people's minds a little bit. And they're like, oh, this is going to be amazing. And so the next day, you know, we hit that with like a couple more images and stuff and said, hey, this is out now. Um, if I was doing it again today, I would probably with that initial reveal, have some sort of action item. Um, 
hey, Candle Keep is coming out tomorrow. If you want a discount coupon for 10% off when it comes out, um, you can click this link to sign up for my email list or something like that, because that's going to help you down the road. Um, and it goes back to building an audience. Um, but yeah, had that tweet failed, uh, I don't know, we'd be in a worse position. Um, but I was pretty confident based on the team we had and the product we had um, that it was going to be successful. So we were confident uh, taking that risk. And yeah, like you said, you've, you've built your audience over time. You've, you've built your email list. Um, so it seems like you've uh, took the steps ahead of time to, to make sure that you, you had that audience that you could, you could share it with uh, and yeah. I feel somewhat confident. Yeah, yeah. I could still build my email list quite a bit right now. I think I think I, I don't have that many. I think I have like close to three hundred, but that's that's something. That's three hundred people who if I put an email out will get an email in their inbox. Um and if every one of them bought something, that would be an instant electrum. Well yeah, just this has been uh this has been awesome. Um do you have one final piece of advice for someone just starting out building a, a geek brand or a D and D brand? Uh just uh Keep manage your expectations, because um, if you keep them low and you do really well, you're going to be super happy. Um, but if you keep them high all the time, uh, you will be devastated because uh, I fail <laughs> often, uh, and uh, I still feel like I'm an, ex- an aspiring creator now. Um, so you just always be willing to learn. So uh, yeah, yeah, that's a that's definitely a good one. Um, yeah. So where should people go to? to follow you and to check out what you've got uh, available for sale and learn more about you. Yeah. Um, so I recently changed my handle on Twitter. I removed the underscore. So it's just at justice Armin, um, which is pretty cool. Uh, and you can find me at www.justicearmin.com. You can see um, that DMs Guild blog uh, that I mentioned, um, a bunch of my products and pro- my portfolio and, and then some other cool um, articles I've written about D and D. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. There you have it, my talk with Justice Arman. Um, I really liked this discussion a lot, and one of the things that I, I liked that we got to talk about was the importance of having focused goals. So when you are going through your geek career and you you have a specific, you know, plan uh, up ahead or a specific company that you want to work for it it makes it a lot easier to then craft your career plan you know based on that goal and kind of every step and and that goal can change uh you know as you go but if you can if you can set some kind of goal and you know we talk a lot about knowing who your audience is and if your goal is eventually to to work for a larger company or to break into a certain part of an industry, then that is kind of the secondary audience that you want to keep in mind when you're doing whatever it is you're creating, whether it's podcasts, DM skill content, um, YouTube, whatever. Um, so, so yeah, I really like that we talked about that. Um, definitely give Justice a follow on Twitter at Justice Armand and at JustinArmand.com. And if you... Um, with his other company, Beetle and Grimm's, if you are a Pathfinder player, they currently have a Kickstarter going on for Beetle and Grimm's Complete Character Chronicles, which uh, provides uh, kind of a complete resource for running a specific character in Pathfinder, which is a really cool idea. It's it's already been many times overfunded, 
Um, it's got about a week left on that Kickstarter as of uh, as of this date, um, November twenty third, and and I'll include links to all of that in the show notes at underthecapes.com slash episode seventy four. Last week, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything came out um, for Dungeons and Dragons, which I've been excited about for for a little while now. Um, it's a new expansion on the rule set with a bunch of new subclasses and feats and um, a bunch of tools for DMs. And I was uh, I was really looking forward to it because there's a couple of um, the playtest classes that they added uh, as official and, and tweaked them a little bit. I'm playing as a, a um, Path of the Wild Soul Barbarian in a campaign, and uh, that is... A lot of fun, and they the the changes they made that they published in Tasha's was really cool. And I've been I've been playing, especially during the pandemic. I gotta recommend D and D, awesome way to you know um, remotely play with people. So I've been playing in a couple games every week, and I've been using Roll Twenty for maps, sharing things with players, and music and stuff like that. But I'd never really used their compendiums and kind of the the rules there. And Roll Twenty actually sent me um, a review copy of Tasha's Cauldron of Everything through Roll Twenty, which it automatically integrates with the the rules there, and all of the subclasses get added. So when you're running a game, all of your players can use it. And I'm I'm really liking how that works. It's a great way to share resources players and one of the cool things it does is tasha's has a bunch of puzzles at the end of it and roll 20 when you buy the um tasha's through roll 20 you can add those puzzles to your games as maps that are automatically like annotated with the gm side of things and the players can manipulate and kind of try to solve the puzzle so that's a really cool way to do that you know the one barrier is you know because all the players some players have the books and use pen and paper some players use D&D beyond so getting everyone to a single a single platform like roll 20 to the point where you would want to invest in getting all of your resources through roll 20 is definitely i would say the biggest challenge for players um, or for dm specifically as the ones running the game um but if uh, if you already run your games through Roll20 or you're thinking about starting and um, you're looking for something, I really like Roll20. I think it's a, I think it's a simple way to run games and, and put maps up and, and add a lot, of, a lot of cool elements to the game. And buying Tasha's through there gets you, gets you some pretty cool features. So uh, definitely recommend. <laughs> and tune in next month. I'll be talking to a tabletop RPG creator jeff stormer who is the host of the party of one podcast which he and a guest play a one-on-one rpg game um which is a lot of fun and you get to see a lot of different systems and next month we are talking about his new game anyone can wear the mask and going through the entire marketing campaign that he has for that game which uh, is going to be a lot of fun so definitely check that out next month and until then i hope you guys got something out of this episode i hope you learned something and i will talk to you soon thanks 
Thanks so much for listening to the Entrepreneur Podcast by Under the Capes. I hope this episode has helped motivate you to either start or grow your geek brand. If you liked the episode, I would love if you could give us a rating and a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you happen to be listening from. And feel free to connect with us on social media, on Twitter at Under the Capes, on Facebook at Under the Capes, and on Instagram at Under the Capes Cosplay. Thanks so much and have a great day.